Hello and welcome to the Jenna and Tosh show for middle of February if you're playing along chronologically. <laughs> so uh, just to just to put it out there because I don't know I, I'm kind of still forgetting when we are and what we're doing some days. How about you Tosh? I'm lost. I'm like lost in the abyss of I'm still thinking it's probably you know 2020 December 800th or something like that. Yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I'm with you on that one and uh, today I have to say I, I know I, I keep uh, ripping myself because every time I'm like, oh, we have such an exciting guest today. today Here it comes. Yeah. Today we have a guest that I am just absolutely blown away that in three seasons we have not had on the show already. <laughs> I, I have to agree with you. Both of us uh, know Carolyn Dubay, who's going to be our guest today. And Carolyn is just, you are a ball of energy. And we could talk to you about so many things about being now a fellow twin mom, about being a military spouse, about being a firefighter's wife, about life in general, because it, moving in a pandemic, we could talk about growing up and going to the same high school. Yeah. <laughs> We've got a whole mini series that we could do. But today we get to focus on your day job, which is absolutely incredible. And I want you to tell us what you do. Awesome. Jenna and Tosh, thank you so much for having me. Um, my name is Carolyn and I am the Executive Director of Fertility Matters Canada. We are a registered Canadian charity and the only organization in Canada that supports patients um, who are struggling to build their families because they need fertility treatment or an alternative method to help them build their families. So we provide support, education, resources, and we advocate um, for equal access to, to care across Canada because um, it's not very easy to, to get care, uh, if you're struggling to have, have kids. Wow. Okay. So I know we, Jenna and I both know that you have a reason for being a part of fertility matters. So how about we start with your story? Sure. So I was actually thinking about this this morning and I can't believe it's been almost nine years since, um, we were diagnosed as an infertile couple. We have male factor. We were in our early-ish 30s, just married. And then, you know, logical next step for most people is you're going to start your family. And it was never something that crossed my mind. Never thought it would be an issue. Um, and then it wasn't happening. I was fortunate enough that a previous manager of mine uh, worked in the fertility industry. And so I reached out to her and she said, yeah, you don't wait. Typically what the recommended um, time frame for someone to see a doctor, or if you're seeing your doctor and you're not getting pregnant, most people say you have to try time intercourse unprotected for a year before someone will look at you for having a fertility issue. Um, and it's not always the case. So she told me to go to my doctor, which I did. And I, we immediately did some sort of workups on my husband who at the time was in the military. So it was quick access for him and, uh, and me. And the issue came back as a male factor issue, which also was shocking because I didn't really realize that male infertility was a thing. Um, and now know that at least 33% of the time the issue is male, the other 33% of the time it's female. And the last third um, is actually unexplained physicians can't figure out exactly um, why you aren't conceiving. So um, we got that diagnosis and it was literally like someone had knocked the wind out of my sails. I was shocked. I was sad. I was frustrated. I knew very little about fertility treatment, what that meant. 
I just knew it was very expensive and how the heck was I going to pay for this if that's what we needed to do. Um, at the time we were living in Halifax, so we were referred to the fertility clinic there. Um, and it was an amazing experience. By the time you actually get in, it's quite a bit of time typically to get into, especially the Atlantic Canadian fertility clinics. Um, and we found out that we needed to do IVF because my husband's sperm count was incredibly low. It was there. It's just that the numbers of sperm that we needed, um, weren't as high as they needed to be. So uh, we went through the IVF cycle and transferred an embryo. And I thought, oh yeah, I'm pregnant. You have to wait. So you do this transfer, you go through this whole process of needles and injections and early morning appointments. It's weeks, months actually of your life. Um, and then how to transfer, you have to wait two weeks to find out through a blood test if you're pregnant and it didn't work. And that was December 18th and it was just before Christmas. And that was literally the worst day of my life. It's crazy um, because I thought I was pregnant and why wouldn't I be? Um, and so it really kind of sets you um, kind of back a bit. And so we went on to do some more embryo transfers. I did get pregnant the next cycle with my son who just turned seven this past December. Um, and we had future treatments and now my twins are two and a half. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So something I want to talk to you about, um, we talk an awful lot about women's mental health mm -hmm. when it comes to this. And I don't know if you can speak for your husband on this or not, but yeah. how was he affected by hearing mm -hmm. that information? You know, it's so it's thank you for asking that. Um, because now that we're removed from that fertility journey, we've talked about it a lot. I mean, Brian says to me, you know, no one ever asked me how I was feeling. He said, Cat Fat Carolyn, you never asked how I was feeling. And it's true. Um, I was so wrapped up. And because the female, if you're going through a specifically an IVF cycle, you're, it's yes, the male provides the sperm sample, but the women, the women are the ones who, or the females are the ones who have to provide, do the egg retrieval and do all the injections and the early morning appointments. Um, and everybody says, if they know you're going through the treatment, how's so-and-so, who's mm -hmm. typically the female. Um, so men's health is incredibly affected and it's not something we talk about. Men also deal with it differently. I found online supports. I um, advocated for myself. I found a group of close-knit women who are also going through a similar experience. Brian didn't have that. Men don't talk about their fertility challenges, especially uh, probably in the early stages. And especially if you didn't know that it was going to be an issue and if the issue ends up being part of the male it, the male is part of the problem. Um, you know, it affects much more men think about it differently. It's a sexual thing for them versus this reproductive thing for females. And um, so, yeah, it's a really important thing. And the research research out of Harvard actually shows us that a diagnosis of infertility has the same uh, effect on someone's mental health as a cancer diagnosis. And yet we don't treat it the same. Um, we don't talk about it. People don't talk about their infertility because it takes people into the bedroom. It's like, what's wrong with me? Why can't, what's wrong with me? Why can't I ha have a baby? Like, and when I think back, I mean, you both know I'm very, um, conversational. I'm more of an extrovert. I talk about things. Um, I can get vulnerable and I'm okay with that, but it was months before I told anybody other than one close friend who I used this previous manager. Um, because I was embarrassed and it's crazy 
to think that if that's how I felt, someone who had a close network, close family, um, and I didn't tell very many people, um, I can imagine how other people feel um, that isolation and alone and not knowing exactly what to say. I think it's so, it's so wonderful that people like you who are that extroverted advocate mm. personality are able to stay in the, that community afterwards and to play this role to, to change the discussions mm -hmm. and, and to really move things forward. And I know that one of the things that you've been working a lot on with that through Fertility Matters is not just talking about the emotional impacts of fertility, but also the economic financial mm -hmm. impacts of it. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, about that side of it, both, you know, from that kind of personal family mm -hmm. perspective, but also overall what you're doing as an agency. Yeah. Okay. That'd be awesome. So fertility treatment in this country, if that's something you need to do is very expensive. Um, and there's not equal access to care in terms of government funding. There are five Canadian provinces who provide funding or some sort of funding um, to couples or individuals who need to pursue uh, treatment options. The average cost of IVF, just the cycle, like the medical procedure in Canada is $20,000 per cycle. And you're not guaranteed a baby at the end, you know? Um, the most, most people who end up going through treatment are sort of young. They've just, you know, started a relationship, maybe purchased a home or a vehicle. They're probably newer in their career. And many people don't have $20,000 sitting in a bank account to just hand over to a clinic because all payments need to be made up front. Um, and like I said, there's no guarantee. So it's incredibly challenging. So lots of people end up taking, you know, time off work. There's a lot of early morning appointments. It's also something you're not talking about with your employer. Most people aren't telling their employer when they're planning to get pregnant, it's announced after when you're, you know, several months into a pregnancy. Um, and so there's a lot of isolation and um, that fear to talk to your employer about it. So it affects productivity at work too. So that financial barrier and the, it is incredibly cumbersome and it's a huge barrier to care in this country. Um, globally, the need for IVF treatment is 1500 cycles per million population. And in Canada, we're in around 350 cycles per million population. So it's incredibly low, the utilization rate for this highly, highly, highly effective technology. I mean, if you're using fertility treatment, it's, you know, a success rate of a pregnancy, again, not guaranteed, but in around 50 to 60% success rate per cycle, which is high, it used to be 20%. In fact, when everything's timed perfectly, and you're having unprotected intercourse, it's about 20%. So it's much higher than just kind of getting pregnant on your own. Um, but the financial piece is, is huge. And so as an organization, we're advocating for more governments to become involved. It, it's not uh, a universal healthcare piece. And we know that governments in Canada, is, um, sorry, healthcare is provided provincially. So um, the five provinces that do provide funding are Manitoba, Ontario, Quebec, New Brunswick, and um, Prince Edward Island just announced a program. They all look very different. The challenge for the majority of people is that you still have the upfront cost and then you're reimbursed after for parts of those costs, typically five to $8,000. And people are taking out lines of credit or remortgaging homes, moving in with parents um, because 
you know, building a family is so important to many of us, especially when the birth rate in Canada is so low. So uh, recently we've launched recently as in first of February, we launched a program called fertility benefits matter. It's a uh, joint project between fertility matters and conceivable dreams. They're a patient advocacy group in Ontario. And the whole idea is that we believe that building families and providing access to care is sort of a, all stakeholders need to have, play a part. Governments, patient advocacy groups, employers, insurance providers, so that it's a holistic approach to family building in Canada. And so we're encouraging insurance providers and employers to look at their, um, what they're providing in terms of access to care. Um, most insure, most um, employers do not have a fertility benefit attached to their um, to their health benefits. In fact, some fertility drugs are listed as lifestyle drugs under plans and are not covered, um, similar to Viagra. They're listed under the same category. So very explicitly say does not cover fertility drugs in many benefits plans. Um, and you know, this is 2021 families are not just heterosexual couples. There are lots of single people. There are people in the LGBTQ community who will need to use um, assisted reproductive technologies if they use, if they choose to use a family or, or um, to build a family. Um, this is a comprehensive um, system that needs to work um, and we need to work on it together and the conversations need to be open so that people understand that supporting employers through, um, through benefits attracts and retains young talent and people want to, you know, women want to freeze their eggs so that they can build their career and then have a baby later in life when they find the right partner or maybe have a baby by themselves. So it's a bigger conversation and we need to um, continue to advocate for that. I think that's such an important part that probably a lot of people don't think about it in that very kind of corporate, you know, talent retention yeah. discussion, which is hugely important to this. Like you said, like we're talking about people finding this out right at the start of their career, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's such a huge issue. Absolutely. I agree. And um, when we can have that conversation, I mean, there are, look at the companies that do provide amazing benefits, Google, Starbucks, Starbucks provides amazing coverage to their baristas. Um, Manulife just announced an incredible program uh, in Canada um, and includes, you know, adoption and surrogacy and gamete. So egg sperm, um, egg sperm embryo donation. It's all wrapped into one, including $10,000 a year per family member for mental health support. It's Holy. incredible. And so they place a priority on family building. They want young talent coming to their, to their organization and they want them to stay. And so this is part of um, what they're doing. And we're thrilled to be working with them to learn more and help educate other employers. So as a family that uh, your oldest then would have been born in Nova Scotia. Yes. Right. And then going through the process again in New Brunswick mm -hmm. where it's covered, what, how did you find that different? So I, I almost feel like your first pregnancy was probably in many ways more stressful, mm -hmm. but also having that money factor yeah. on it too. I can't even imagine. Yeah. So that's a good question. So Nova Scotia provides zero coverage. Uh, from the government side. My husband at the time was in the military and they paid actually for 
5% of my drug coverage. So drugs are in and around eight to $10,000 per cycle. So, you know, our total bill was in the $14,000 range probably. Um, and then in New Brunswick, our bill was still in and around the same, say $15,000. Um, and the province of New Brunswick provides a one-time grant. So once you've paid for your fertility treatment, they will refund you 50% of the cost up to $5,000. So it's nice, it's not perfect, but I don't complain. Um, my husband also now is a firefighter with the city who has an amazing drug coverage and pays for 100% of our fertility drugs. Whoa. So if you were in awesome. way to go Moncton, way yeah. to go city of Moncton. Um, so it's, it's huge. It was, that's almost 50% of my costs covered. Um, and I need to give them kudos because that's an amazing, amazing resource for all of your employees. Wow. That, like just the sound of that. I'm like, when does a company cover hundred percent of anything for a lot of medical issues, right? Yeah. Like that's amazing. Mm-hmm. When I called to my stick, because that wasn't my experience. Well, my experience before was, you know, I would go to the cash or like go to the pharmacy to pick my drugs up and it'd be, you know, $150, $200 because, you know, I'd be picking $4,000 worth of drugs up every second day, sort of. Wow. Um, and then when I went to the, to the till to pay my bill and they said, $5, please. I kind of smiled. I was, because I'd had that Tears. experience. It was amazing. Yeah. It was so, it was amazing because um, it's huge. Yeah, like you said, like you said, Tosh, like the, the mental health factor of that mm. difference between your two pregnancies must've been such an interesting thing mm-hmm. to look back on now yeah. to be able to see those differences in the experience because yeah. of the different things that were available. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I have a question. Um, I, okay. My pregnancies were both high risk pregnancies. Mm -hmm. And are you like, when you go through IVF, are you treated like a high risk pregnancy? Are you watched? Yeah. So it depends um, where you are. My first pregnancy I was, and I was under the age of 35. So not geriatric, according to. um, Yes. I love that we're geriatric. (laughs) Um, So the thing that can make uh, people with fertility struggles, more high risk is that if you're, if you had to do IVF, you've probably got an underlying fertility issue, endometriosis, PCOS, um, you know, some sort of uterine issue, previous abdominal surgery. So the reality is infertility, the world health organization says infertility is a medical condition. It's the result of having another medical condition. So people who have had, you know, Crohn's or colitis and have had, major abdominal surgery, well, that can really affect your reproductive tract. And, you know, so it's a result of something, another medical condition that's actually covered and you're under, you know, because you live in Canada, those conditions are taken care of in Canada. So um, it's the result of something like that. So you're usually, depending on the situation, you're followed more. The incidence of multiple births is also a little higher best practice in uh, fertility in the fertility world is to transfer, to transfer a single embryo. We know that the success rate of achieving a pregnancy and delivering at full term, like a full term healthy baby is uh, in and around the same as transferring two embryos. So most clinics in Canada will transfer one if you're a healthy female under the age of 37. Um, so what makes it higher risk is that if there are individuals who are transferring two embryos, and you get pregnant with twins or higher order multiples, that makes you obviously higher risk. So you're followed more closely. So it kind of depends on the situation. Okay. 
Mm-hmm. I think that's an important point too, that people who might have an older idea of fertility treatments mm-hmm. would be misinformed about because it didn't used to be best practice to just no. transfer one. And that's when we used to have those, you know, bizarre cases we'd hear about yes. in the news of, you know, very high order multiples <laughs> showing up. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's her name. Yeah. I couldn't think of it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, so, yeah it doesn't happen anymore um, because, and as a result, it's a healthier mom, healthier pregnancy, healthier baby. Um, you know, I know you both have, high, have had high risk pregnancies, so you know that that fear and anxiety that's sort of with you for the entire length of your uh, baby's, you know, gestation. Yeah, I can't even imagine having the added pressure of like, this has to work. Oh, kind of, you know, yes. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm, going, I'm going to be 20 grand in debt, even yeah, if it doesn't. Yeah. That's yeah, the yeah. thing. That's exactly it. And many people who have gone through the treatment actually can't, they never enjoy a pregnancy very few days because they're always worried. Lots of times, you know, if you've got a fertility issue, miscarriages, you know, they're, they're intertwined. You can have a higher rate of miscarriage. Um, maybe it's you're miscarrying because you have a fertility issue and you don't know that yet. So or stress it's the stress and you're just, you can't really let go and enjoy a pregnancy, you know? Yeah. That's my case for sure. I hated being pregnant. Mm. So happy to be done with that, which is a horrible (laughs) thing to say during a fertility podcast, but it's okay. It's okay. (laughs) We got, we got the good out of the end of it, right? Like, absolutely. Okay, right. I hate those to wrap this up, we have to have more, right? That's right. Yes, Absolutely. exactly. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we do have to wrap it up. So, Carolyn, um, where can people find everything they need to know about the amazing organization you work for? So, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, um, Facebook. So, at Fertility Matters, at Fertility underscore Canada is our Instagram handle, and fertilitymatters.ca. And you can find all of our free online support groups and join and find and connect with the community to help support you through your fertility journey. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Carolyn. And you know that this is not going to be the last time. <laughs> I'm going to come back anytime. Okay, good. <laughs> Jenna and Tash, thank you so much for highlighting this incredibly important topic. It's so pre- prevalent in our society and uh, we need to talk about it more openly. I agree. There needs to be more women like you that are more than willing to get out there and, and men too yeah. who need to get out there and, and I don't know, I, I don't want to say embarrassed, sure. but, but that's, yeah, that's exactly vulnerable. it. Just, that was the word. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Be, Perfect. Yeah. We yeah. We all need absolutely. to be a little bit more vulnerable. We do. Yeah. Cause you 100%. never know whose life you're going to change. So true. Perfect. Okay. Thanks again. Thanks, and thank Katie. you everybody for watching and listening. Leave us a review. If you've got the time, we'd love to hear from you.